This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. I have a guest today who I'm really excited about um, learning more about. Uh, his name is Seth Perry, and believe it or not, he told me in full open disclosure that he is a clergy person. Uh, however, he found our podcast, he knows what we're about, and he was really interested in talking about um, what he does and how, in his belief, let me just put it in his words, this is what he wrote in his, in his email to me, and I just found this sentiment, um, something I agree with. He said that gone are the days of rigid spiritual solutions to recovery. I have to be prepared to work alongside anyone who seeks my help, and that includes atheists and agnostics. And I concur with that. I've recently come to the conclusion, too, that as an atheist, I need to be prepared to use the language of people who have uh, a belief and want to use that belief system in their recovery as well. So I think we're on the same page, Seth, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, um, what, what I like to do here is um, let a story unfold, and we'll just have a conversation from that. Your story is interesting already, I know, from what, you've, what, what little you've told me in your email, so I'm anxious to hear about how you got to where you are today. Um, so I'm just going to turn it over to you to uh, kind of go into that. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on. So I think that where it all started for me was at home in the suburbs of Vancouver in, uh, in Canada and in British Columbia, where I grew up and, uh, on the outside, our family looked pretty happy. We were a, uh, a family of five, uh, all boys. And, uh, we went to church on Sunday and we played sports. Everyone played soccer and baseball there was no drinking. My parents didn't drink at all. Uh, there was no real uh, problem drinkers in the uh, cell, specifically that, that group of five. But uh, there were outside of that. It seemed to skip a generation in my family. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I had uh, a grandparent and uh, actually my, my, uh, my mom's brother uh, had, had some problems drinking. And, uh, and so we were really expected to be like our parents and uh, pretty early on it, it turned out that my middle brother w wasn't uh, that he was more like uh, the alcoholics in the family. This caused some panic and I'm the youngest and coming up underneath that, like I saw him and I said, that looks cool. Uh, you know, uh, he was rebellious. He was drinking. Uh, and so that became my outlet in my teen years. And so that's what I really focused on. That was my escape. That was how I became funny. That was how I became the center of attention was, was drinking at that age. Yeah. And so uh, I got into theater to drama. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, well, you got a degree in, uh, in fine arts, didn't you? You mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, so that was my, my goal. And uh, I really, I mean, it, it, it did take me uh, a good seven years to finish my undergraduate, like a good alcoholic, I guess, would, right? Uh, I had a lot of problems. Uh, I was in and out of the hospital in my uh, late teens and early 20s. I struggled to get good grades uh, because of my drinking. 
Um, and uh, spiritually speaking, I just stopped going to church with the family. There's kind of like a big split and uh, kind of a, I would say that there was a uh, theological crisis in the family when my bro- when my brother came out of the closet too, oh. my, old, my oldest brother. Oh. So we were like, our church doesn't support and love <laughs> our brother. So the family <laughs> just sort of scattered and, and, and had a, uh, we, we all stepped away from the church in different ways. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I did so kind of uh, bitterly, I would say, and just went into drinking and I, I identified as an atheist for, for many years. Oh, how about that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I worked in nightclubs and then soon I was uh, doing stand up in my senior year of university. That always uh, interests me. You know, you, you would now be the third uh, stand up comedian that I've had actually had on the podcast. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool. So I, I, I always love hearing the stories of uh, stand up comedians and what they go through. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite, we might have you back sometime to go into that in more detail. But yeah, so you did, you did that. Yeah. And uh, that's when things really uh, went on a huge upswing uh, career wise, but uh, alcohol uh, wise things intensified. And uh, I started having more and more problems through my 20s and into my late 20s and uh, had crisis after crisis, burned my professional bridges, showed up to auditions hungover or uh or in, incredibly drunk and uh really burned every possible bridge that I could have professionally and was uh was kind of feeling like I couldn't get booked at, at age 29 and so uh luckily my family had said yeah we'll help you out if you're if you are willing uh and I was six months estranged from the family. They gave this boundary where it said, "Come around when you want help and and so they got me involved in the program then at age twenty nine and uh and that's when when it stuck. I tried a lot on my own, but that's when it stuck for me. similar story to mine. I kind of started off early in life um so I was um uh, 25 when I had my last drink. Um, and so I made it to my first AA meeting just, just before my 26th birthday. Been sober since then. It was nice being that young. Um, you know, that was almost 11 years ago and, and being that young, uh, and knowing that I was getting a second chance and also to live in a community. Like I, I moved out of the downtown core of Vancouver and I moved to Vancouver Island, which was, nice and it was a way it was uh there was a geographical separation of some water and you know and i couldn't couldn't just go back to my old friends and uh completely uh i stayed there for seven uh seven and a half years and um and kind of rebuilt my life at that point and and what that looked like for me was i mean i still identified uh, as, as an atheist pretty, pretty early on. And then the interesting thing about all this was, uh, and, and this was something that I, I run into a lot in 12 step, uh, groups and, 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 and circles is, uh, there seems to be like a, a fundamentalist sect yes, of, yes. 
<laughs> and I'm sure you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I tell people it's like they're not really religious people, but they're religious about AA itself, or they're religious about whatever their dogmatic recovery program is. They think that what their recovery program is should be everybody's recovery program to the letter. Absolutely. So I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the child of two, um, you know, two intellectuals. My dad is a, a PhD in uh, linguistics, and my mom has a master's in library science. And uh, they, they're very academic. And it, and I was raised to read and to be critical and to think critically and think for myself. Uh, so when it, when it came to a lot of blind faith and, uh, you know, topics in the fundamentalist, uh, circles that I'm talking about, where it was just, uh, no debate or, or discussion or inquiry, uh, uh red flags went up for me really. Mm-hmm. And so some people were blindly following the big book and also inviting me to, uh, other fundamentalist Christian organizations. And I didn't identify oh, with that either. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So I was the one who followed the big book. I was, um, so I didn't grow up in a religion, but what, and I, I knew nothing about it. I mean, I was almost embarrassed how little I knew about religion. I actually had to take a class, um, to know anything about the Bible at all. And I'm glad I took it because it was really very interesting to learn the history behind how it all came together. But, um, yeah, but when I got into AA and I and I saw all the religious stuff going on and the big book, I was just so desperate. I just did whatever they, they, they told me to do. And what I did, Seth, is I found myself, I didn't realize this at the time, but what I was d- doing is I was just conforming to whatever the norm was in that group. Mm-hmm. Whatever I thought they were expecting me to do, yeah. I thought I had to do. So that's what I did. In early recovery, I was more vulnerable or susceptible. Yeah, exactly. To, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, a, I did a lot of that too. You know, I would be like, okay, uh, I'm just going to be what I thought, you know, that, that, that suggestion people say, be open-minded. Right, to right. New yeah, possibilities. Right. yeah. And the open mind and, only goes one way though, their way. <laughs> but that's okay. Their way. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I ended up in, in a, uh, you know, in a church that um, I, really didn't see a lot of my values and beliefs reflected in, in their, their beliefs. And I get there and I'm like, there's a ton of people here from the rooms. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I said, this is just, a lot of people are just treating this as an extension of the program. And, uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't think I didn't, I was, I was a little bit trepidatious. And so after a few months, I just, I, I, I left and, and ended up going back to the the faith of of my youth, which is more of a humanist, uh, intellectual, and academic look on 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 faith. And that's where I've I've settled, and I ended up going to uh, you know to theological seminary for five years to to study this, with the intention of uh, working at, in. That institutional chaplaincy and and a little bit of I would also have to do a little bit of parish ministry, but I like the idea of working in institutions in places where you will get broad beliefs and you'll be able to work with people that are stuck in an institution uh, and not be with them with the with the intention of converting them, but more to facilitate whatever's happening for them. So, what are you finding when you when you do? So, so you were working with people as a chaplain in a treatment center. Are you still doing that by the way? 
So I did that for about two years uh, and uh, in, in two different settings um, and moved on to parish ministry, which I'm doing now for a period of time. But I also right now uh, I'm also uh, assisting in local correctional institutions on a on a, a, a part time basis. We partner with individuals and bring them into our congregation. We also go, go into the uh, institutions as well. Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing specifically right now. But then with my time with the, with the treatment centers, those two combined years um, where I would do fifth steps with individuals, that was rewarding and, and fun because anyone could walk into that room. I could prepare anyone for, uh, for that process and they could do that some of them uh, as agnostic atheists and uh, that, that was excellent, uh, an excellent opportunity. The other uh, uh, context that I worked in for a period of time was in a indigenous context with mainly indigenous individuals with a completely different system of beliefs where many of them were also uh, not really knowing anything about what they wanted out of belief because you know, they'd grown up in. Yeah. I talked to um, someone who was, he, he's actually, he was the, he was, he was the chair of the general service board of, I can't remember what it is now, but uh, native Americans and AA. And I wanted to have him on the podcast because I was just interested in, in, in his, the way that his community finds recovery and how they deal with spirituality but I explained to him that my podcast was um, that it was uh, the niche was for atheists and agnostics in AA. And he was reluctant to come on because he said, well, we don't have anything in common with atheists because um, spirituality is really important to us. But what he told me was the problem that he has with AA or getting his people to go to AA meetings is they see it as a white man's um, program. Absolutely. That was the issue he had with it. And I wish I could have talked to him about it. I just found that I would love to have learned more about that, but he just didn't want to do it. So Mm -hmm. it was a complete, yeah, it was uh, in many ways. I I was a fish out of water for my first uh, few weeks there because uh, I had to continually be explained. Like there's a different way of talking. There's a, 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 there are different values at play and the cultural uh, spiritual component is enmeshed for them it is both culture and religion and uh culture religion and language too and uh you know so i had the opportunity of going into the sweats with them to doing numerous ceremonies uh the, uh one of the staff members there died and they said we need you to officiate this funeral and the the elder will do his part as the family for this individual come in and like all these very different varied practices and then we had staff members and clients identifying as atheist agnostic within this whole thing because uh they they took a harm reduction approach approach at times and they also were would would get to the point with an individual where if if it were, if they were saying yeah no to this god thing okay no to this god they, then we would have to find them alternative literature we'd have to you know which in other settings that was a no go you know yeah. yeah yeah 
So it, this whole topic of spirituality is so, so interesting. So now I've spoken with hundreds of agnostics and atheists in AA over the last five years, literally hundreds of them. And I will tell you that, and this is no surprise to me from what I've, I now know, but the way that every single one of them describes their recovery is different. And the view of spirituality among even atheists varies from one end to the other. So you have some who are absolutely opposed to it, hate it, are violently, militantly attack it. They just don't like it, right? And then you have others who actually pray. They don't believe there's any God they're praying to, but they do pray because it brings them peace. It helps them. There are, there are, then they have, most of them are probably somewhere in the middle where they kind of just, um, they, they, this, any spiritual practice or spiritual language and so forth, they're very comfortable with and um, are okay with it. They just don't identify any of it with a God, a deity. That's basically how it is. But there's a bit of a debate. The, the real militant types really don't like the, one, the ones who are, are okay with it. I don't know why. I wish they could just kind of let everybody do their own thing. Because what I've, what I've come to believe, where I stand on the whole thing, is it's just language. It's just how you're going to describe the experience. Oh, definitely. I think that uh, that my role and the way that I approach anyone, and I mean, I did um, I did a solid uh, clinical training in, in a hospital in the Seattle area where, you know, it was necessary for me to do that to get my master's degree. And uh, that was in such a varied setting. And I had to have the appropriate language walking into a room. So if a code blue happens, who knows who's, who's what family are going to be in the family room when, you know, and to see a chaplain show up and there could be family members with all sorts of different beliefs. But uh, the way that I spoke had to be uh, one of open facilitation to, uh, you know, really uh, speak calmly to listen and to be a, a, a calming presence first and foremost. I can be grounded in my own spirituality, but uh, it's not a moment to begin evangelizing like that. <laughs> that's, that's the key really. Yeah. All right. Got to let people find their own, their own way. Um, I recently took a class. I need to take the test here pretty soon, but it was a class to become a certified peer support specialist. So this is someone who has life experience with um, addiction and, and has been in recovery and then works as kind of a, kind of a um, adjunct type person with a therapist or whatever in a treatment facility, but just to help them identify their own recovery goals and then the barriers to those. And the whole key to recovery is, as you were describing with your work with the indigenous people, is that it's going to really have to be tailored to whatever that person needs. Um, and I just, you know, so it could be harm reduction, you know, for certain addictions, you know, that, that it makes sense. Um, it could be different types of programs. It could be where spirituality is very important to them and where spirituality is not important to them. So it's just a matter of helping people find that. Absolutely. And when you're, when you were introducing me and you said, you know, what I said in my email about, uh, you know, gone are the days of, of rigid solutions for, for this type of thing. Uh, absolutely. And I think in my early recovery, uh, I was maybe, um, (laughs) 
taken under the wing of some people that might have had a little bit more zeal and really got got me um, into the fundamentals and basics and the black and white thinking. And I really had in, in my time, you know, I, I took a, a job as a support worker at a treatment center when I was three years clean and when I was starting uh, my my role in seminary and getting my master's degree and people would always give me that feedback and just say Seth it's it's different people have different needs some people are going to need a stern approach some people are going to need a, a you know you to be a little bit more delicate and you're going to have to to listen to people and that's sometimes when i see uh individuals in in the rooms be very black and white about these are the steps. These are the basics of the steps. This is how it was done uh, back originally. We always going back to the origin, but there's, there's probably about seven or eight, uh, you know, (laughs) views on what it was done (laughs) originally. Right. So I, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be that person. That's not, that's not who I am. So I work with sponsees. I, I don't have any requirements for them to do anything spiritually. Um, you know, I don't get to a point where I say on your knees, you know, you got to do it this way and you got to say this. I don't think so. It's a, it, it is an exploration process for people to, to really uh, discover how for them personally with their own, view view of the world the values and beliefs and the ethics that they see the world through to apply that to not picking up a drink today so part of this class that i took the this I'm, it's fresh in my mind because it was just like last week or the week before but um one of the one of the chapters that we went over was spirituality and as it being an important component of recovery and um they, they told us during class that if anything come, comes up that traumatizes you, please raise your hand. So I raised my hand. I said, this is, I tell you, I'm going to have trouble with this. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I told them, I told them why, um, because I really was afraid that they were going to define spirituality for me. But they didn't. They didn't. And it was okay. And I was able to, once again, just interpret what they were saying in my own, in my own way. But I'm curious, how do you, how do you, how do you see spirituality for yourself and how, how, how do you see where it fits in with recovery overall? Tough question. I know. Well, um, what I, what I, uh, really build my foundation on is, um, is something called a hermeneutic and then theo- theologically that, that would be, uh, you know, a lens that I see the world through. So I was raised um, in a social justice minded church. Um, I was raised among, uh, you know, we had Vietnamese refugees living in our house for a period of time. And my parents said, you know, this is an ethical thing to do. This is why there's people in need. Uh, they're refugees our church has rehomed these people and they called my, they called my mother, mom, you know, and it was just, those were the things that I was shown were, um, were ethical and good. And that's how I was exposed to the good that can be done in this world. So it comes back to that, that, uh, foundational understanding that I that I had as as a child, and it and it built 
um, all the way through my teen years with various social issues. We would always look at world politics and we would uh, observe things and talk about ethics uh, as, as I experienced the world. Uh, up to that point where my family took a stand with my brother's sexuality, where we, we, we had some major disagreements with the church and what they were believing. And, and then I, I realized that I can really, I can look at uh, what has been written by humans and I can understand it in a historical context and I can uh, apply that to the world that's out there. So spiritually, every week, you know, I'm writing uh, 1,500 words for the church that, that, I, that I'm uh, employed for. And it is an application of what I have studied, what I've learned, and I am I, in continual study. Um, and I have to have my eyes open to the world, interpreting where I believe God is working in the immediate context. It's not about, it's not about prophecy. It's not about chastising. It's not about imposing my thoughts on morality on others, which some faiths do, right? It's a facilitation of uh, an exploration of morality ethics that's happening in a community of people. You know, so dialogue is a huge part of it. That's why I said there's kind of like a humanist component to my faith. Right. Um, and uh, full disclosure, like I'm a Lutheran and Martin Luther is a huge humanist. His and, and I, I draw from modern philosophy a lot. Aristotle uh, is, is someone that I, I would draw from. Now, uh, you know, a Pentecostal might say, well, that, that's complete heresy. I was wondering, I, I was kind of guessing to myself, I said, okay, he's either an Episcopalian or a Unitarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, really close. Very okay. close. Okay. Yeah. I think that the whole, the whole thing too with spirituality is the, the way I see it, it's for me, it's kind of like, um, kind of connecting with my emotions and there's a real need for to there was a real need for me and I think for a lot of people in recovery to kind of rewire the way that they think and the way that they view their relationship with other people and sometimes um, sometimes that that kind of emotional feeling and stuff that you have to kind of get in touch with is is really difficult to articulate you know and I think that that's where the spiritual language does kind of come in handy because it helps people get in touch with something that they don't really have to define to anybody, but you can encompass it as part of a part of a spiritual practice. I mean, I still do things. I'm 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 a pretty strict atheist as far as I'm pretty sure that, that God doesn't exist, but um, I'm one of those who have um, times when. Um, you know that they in AA they have that the serenity prayer, and I still find that amazingly um, comforting and useful, and it's still something that I rely on uh, to the to this day. I don't have to believe that there's a God that's listening and answering or doing anything, but I still recite that prayer um, because it's important to me. It's something that it brings me back centered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a community aspect to the prayer. I think, uh, people hold hands. Um, it is not put, 
a very particularly it's not really a theistic no it's not it's not it's not like the lord's prayer a lot of uh, meetings close with the lord's prayer which does turn people off actually but um, yeah oh definitely it's a it's an ongoing debate that i witness (laughs) and i i came i came from a very secularist uh, a secular culture, uh, British Columbia is is quite a, a, a secular place, especially Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Um, and there's zero use of, of the Lord's Prayer. I didn't know it existed in AA for, for quite some time. I know. I wish I could remember the name of the comedian that I spoke with because he was from Vancouver. And he was telling me about um, in Vancouver, they started the... Um, safe injection sites in Vancouver and he moved to Toronto and they were just starting them up in Toronto. Um, and, uh, they're very successful. They do help people. They've been able to prove that they've reduced the number of drug, drug overdoses, uh, for people who go, go to those. But I guess, um, in some areas it's still kind of controversial. Um, but very interesting to hear his view. And he, he, I didn't know anything about Vancouver and what it's like there, but he, he um, grew up in the streets of Vancouver. He's had a hard, hard life prison and all kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, he was, he he was really in the hardcore um, areas of Vancouver, which I guess can be kind of rough. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, definitely. When, when you are, when you get when you get out to meetings in in Vancouver, um, there you can you can see there's sometimes a, a, a division. People who were in the Lower East Side uh, who went through that, and uh, and then everyone else really too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So tell me this. Um, sure. I'm interested in your YouTube channel because yeah. I, I, um, I'm really interested in getting connected with the YouTube, the recovery community on YouTube. Yes. It's huge. It and is huge. I love it because it's huge and it's varied. And I, I just, I just want to get, I want to get to connect with people in it, but I just have not gotten to that point yet. I started another podcast um, that was going to be more of a YouTube centered type of a thing, but I found it really difficult to do the two podcasts. So that's why I'm going to change the name of this one and make it because I want to have that connection with other YouTubers and YouTube is a visual thing. Not. Yeah. So if I'm going to meet, meet up with other people in recovery on YouTube, I want to be at C, you know? So tell me how you got involved with your YouTube channel, why you got involved with it, what has your experience been with it? Where do you want to see it go? I'm just really interested in your take on that. And you're very good with your videos, by the way. I just, as a technical guy, I have to say very good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, four, four years at Simon Fraser university film school. Has paid off. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> uh, so what I would say is uh, I kept kicking around this idea on uh, how am I going to have, a, 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 you know, my presence uh, what I provide, uh, insight, um, how am I going to have that on, uh, uh, you know, on the internet through a visual medium. And I kept thinking about starting a, a YouTube channel. And so I, I thought what's appropriate. And I said, it needs to just be completely unaffiliated with anything that I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, affiliated with. See, I'm that's affiliated. what I'm going to do. I'm going to de-affiliate. De-affiliate, yeah. <laughs> I'm so not really I, affiliated, but, you know, with the name, it's like, you know, 
Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Oh, don't worry about it. I, I just thought, uh, the, so I, th- I thought about it long and hard. And I said, well, the best way is to just have it under my name and for it to be something simple, addiction, recovery, spirituality. And so my goal is to take one broad topic uh, a week um, that I, I could talk about, speak on it for about a minute and then spend the rest of the video evaluating. That my, is so amazing. You evaluate yeah. your own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, you know, I looked at some formats uh, of, of other channels and, and sort of started looking at, there were some channels that would evaluate their own content. Um, and there also was, uh, you know, a, a, a very popular channel called Dr. Grande, a, a psychologist and, he uh, he uh, takes on just one specific topic a week, and it's a direct address. And I said, I, I, I think I could do something similar to that. And, and, and I can just identify as a clergy person in recovery. You know, I say I'm a pastor and I'm in recovery from addiction. Um, but the big part is it had to be like, what is your message? And my message is that spirituality is one component of recovery. And it, I am very passionate in exploring this on the channel because I see this monolithic take on, on recovery where spirituality is the only right, right. way. Like God, 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 you, you're, like, you're going to come into the room, you're going to see God up on the wall, and you're going to hate it for a while, but then that's going to be the only thing. And there's there's a, a noisy minority pushing that. And what I want is, you know, it's a, it's a place where anyone can ex- experience YouTube. You can just be watching it. You don't have to worry about anyone uh, seeing you there. And if you want to explore uh, ideologies, it's a, a safe place to do that. So I thought I would just let people know. If you're thinking about quitting drinking or you're struggling in your early recovery or you're maybe been in recovery for a while and you've got some hangups on spirituality or other things, there's more. There's there's like, sure, spirituality is part of it, but there's also doctors, which are a part like medical doctors, counselors, peer support workers. Uh, there's uh, psychiatrists, you know, Um and you even to help people understand, like, if you're going to go to a, find a treatment center, you know, what to, what kind of, what, what to look for, you know, what kind of treatment Absolutely. center you're going to go to. Yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of, a lot of time with, uh, you know, people through the grapevine, you know, they'll say, well, we know Seth and he's in recovery. And so I'll end up going to coffee with family members to, you know, I've had this conversation over and over again for 11 years because I am an extrovert and because I, I have a network of people. So someone with a, with a relative that, that they're struggling with, I, I've had numerous conversations at, at the coffee shop and, and it always comes down to balance. Well, get them in to see a doctor, get them in to see a psychiatrist, uh, start researching treatment centers. And these are the things that you need to look for. And these are the things you need to be, be aware of. And it's, it, I have that common sense because I've worked in two treatment centers. I've worked in sober living and, um, and I, I've stayed very connected in the service structure of AA to understand uh, what's going on. And I've, you know, so I, I, I just think that 
uh, it's valuable information, but the other part is I want it to definitely be a dialogue for a place where I can learn too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I've learned. Um, I, my experience with the podcast is that, um, it has been just as good for me as it has been for anybody who listens to this, because I, um, first of all, I've, all the stories of the people that I've talked to over the years are, are, are in my head. They're in my heart. I remember these people and their stories and I've learned something from every single one of them. And I've had the opportunity to speak with people like you that I might not have had an opportunity to speak with before. And it just brings something additional into my life and my thought process that, that I find, you know, really helpful. So, um, yeah, it's just, I, I, and also I love doing it. That's the thing I've, I've, I've zeroed in on that. If I'm going to work in, if I'm going to do anything to help people in recovery, it's gotta be, I, it's gotta be something I'm passionate about doing, you know? Absolutely. Cause there are some things that, um, I got involved with that. I just really wasn't passionate about. And I had to learn to kind of let those things go and focus, really focus in on what I am truly passionate about. And for me, that is now the podcast, but also getting involved with the greater recovery community in my area. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just in one particular recovery community, but people in recovery who are advocating for people in recovery in my state is I, I want is what I want to kind of get involved with. So that's what I'm interested in now. Yeah, definitely. And greater advocacy is certainly needed right now. I think that um, there is, there's a lot of uh, information out there, but there are steps that need to be, that need to be taken that people don't, don't even understand really. Yeah. Yeah. And now with, um, with COVID and with more people being kind of trapped inside. Uh, so you, we have this problem of addiction going up and yet it is now if people have, have the internet, they can actually find resources easier. They can get to more resources now online than they would be if they were just in their little community somewhere in the, in a rural area or something. Um, so there, there, there is some, something that's, that's happening there. Um, so it's like this medium is really important, um, during this time that we're in right now. It's interesting because, uh, I have connected with numerous people that have needed help through Reddit since the beginning. Like uh, that, that is the crazy thing You're about into this. Reddit. Yes. And, and, okay. and so I'm, I'm into Reddit locally and, um, and, and, uh, on that local level, I've been able to connect with some people that just by being an advocate for recovery, I get, you know, uh, people commenting on my thread, asking for help, DMing me, asking for help. Uh, and then there's just, you're all these various Reddit recovery threads that are out there with various rules. Some of them operate like a, a support group. Some of them open are just open forum. And through that, people have been engaging with my channel. They've been, um, you know, asking Reddit me questions. I need to get involved in it. I, um, I like Reddit. I, uh, I, I, I was at one time what I was doing, I didn't really understand what Reddit was. I was kind of thinking of it as like Twitter where you just put crap out there. Right. And so that's what I was doing. I was just putting crap out there. Every time I'd post a podcast, I'd post a link to the podcast on my little Reddit channel. Well, then Reddit contacted me and says, no, don't do that. (laughs) 
don't do that. This is supposed to be a place where you actually talk with people, interact with people. You know, it's not just a place to post your, your podcast. So it was, so I realized, okay, so if I'm going to do Reddit, I really am going to have to take some time to, you know, cultivate a community. And I, I just didn't have time to, but there's, there's our communities that already exist out there that all I have to do is join and end in the conversation. And it, and it takes some time to, to, to get going, going really. I, I think that, uh, and then, it, then it takes restraint to know when the limit is, I think too, because, uh, you know, it's good to have, it's good to have connections, but I think that, uh, for myself, uh, you know, I know that me making YouTube videos, uh, is, is something that I do because of, I enjoy it. And because I believe that the purpose is, is something that is fulfilling and useful and, uh, it'll reach people. It'll definitely reach people. I was going to ask you when you do that first part of your um, video, is that okay? Is that part just totally extemporaneous? And then do you kind of kick back for a while and think about what you said and do the analysis part of it? So, yeah, what I do is, um, I want the first minute where I'm under a time limit, like I have either I'm working off, I've got either just a standing list of, 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 of things and uh, you know, of, of topics. And I'm just going to pick one and I'm going to go and do that today. Cause I think it's, it's relevant and, or I've got a good feeling about it. And then, yeah, with no preparation, I speak for one minute on it. And when the timer goes, then the timer goes. Then afterwards my evaluation, I spend some time, of really evaluating and taking notes on, on what I just said, reflecting on what I said, evaluating what I said. And, uh, and then I launch into it, but I still want to ta- do that in one take. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to do too many takes. Oh, no, uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do want there to be a little bit of a, a, a raw um, sharing and speaking uh, vibe to it as well. Yeah, Definitely. There's only, there's only so much time out of day. <laughs> and, and a video that a video that's coming up soon that, um, you know, I, I just did a video. Someone asked me, uh, about using marijuana and being an AA and I'm so passionate about this. So that, tell me you know, what, what, how that go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my, my take on it is, is absolutely it's okay. no way. No, no, no way. No. Okay. I don't know which way you're going to go. <laughs> For me, for me, yeah, I have a dual diagnosis. Yeah. And so I spoke for myself. I said, I have bipolar disorder and, uh, I've been in the psych ward too many times because I've used marijuana and I, I, I didn't endorse it, but I, uh, uh, what I did was I spoke about the dangers and I presented, I presented some facts from health Canada, health Canada's website about psychosis. Well, there is some science behind this too. There is definitely. And Um, I'm like on your side, I'm saying, okay, for me, no, 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 I'm not, no, no, not for me. And I was not a marijuana user, but the thing about it is, is it, it causes just as dramatic a spike in your, um, what is that dopamine as, as alcohol does. And it's the dopamine that I'm really addicted to. It's that spike in the dopamine that I'm addicted to, not necessarily the, the booze, you know, it's what the booze does to in my brain and marijuana would do the same thing or some other drug would too. 
Mm-hmm. And and there, so there is hard science about if you have a pre-existing mental health condition or you are too young, you are susceptible to psychosis and prolonged use and heavy usage can uh, can cause psychosis in individuals. Uh, and we are too early on in the in the um, investigate investigatory uh process of looking at the therapeutic benefits of of uh cbd or 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 marijuana to treat certain things that i i cannot say i i endorse it but you know what's interesting about aa though if you if you're really if you're really kind of totally dogmatic about aa it's perfectly fine to smoke dope and shoot heroin and whatever else you want to do as long as you don't drink right as that's different with na na says that Alcohol is a drug too. So it sees alcohol, marijuana, everything all, all as encompassing. But in AA, theoretically, you can smoke pot if it's not a problem for you and consider yourself sober. And there are people who do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that is another part of how I have to approach the public presence on my channel. Um, I have to be able to speak to a broad group of people with perspectives. And I think when we're talking about recovery, uh, and again, coming back to what I said, when I sent you that email, uh, just like how I talk to people when we're talking about different systems of belief in terms of religion or rationality slash atheism slash agnosticism there, I say there's many ways up the mountain. Uh, and uh, in, in recovery, I think that's another thing that I want to always tell people that's important to me is there's many ways up the mountain of recovery. Uh, everyone's going to have a different story and we're, we should never ever feel like we have to kick someone out of a room because of their practices, you know, it, you know, as long as they're good intentioned and they're not abusive. Right. Yeah. One thing that um, I've learned is you got to kind of meet people where they are and it's, it doesn't really do any good just go around judging people and wet, wagging your finger at them and, and all of that. So, um, so where do you think you want to go with this, um, this YouTube thing and what, what, what where do you want to go with, with your life in general? Where do you see yourself going with, um, your, your passion for helping people in recovery? So, you know, right now, um, my wife and I have been living where we are in Kingston, Ontario for about a year and a half. And, uh, I have a fulfilling vocation and career. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to continue with this uh, as far as it as it needs to go. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of really progressive things that are happening in the church that I'm serving, and they're very progressive, socially minded people. And I think we can really, um, we can really, you know, right now. Um, I'm, I'm working on securing funding locally to have uh, to have a. Um, a social worker work out of our church for uh, a, on a contract basis. We have some funding secured. I've worked with um, advocates locally uh, with uh, banning conversion therapy nationally. Oh, um, so I've, I've worked with a lot of LGBTQ IA plus uh, individuals. It's in hard to believe that area. even happens still, but I guess it does. It was a huge issue here, and I was I was I was all over the news here because there was uh, there was one particular congregation that it was happening in, and I got in touch with some of the survivors, and we went to city council, and we got a municipal ban here. 
Um, and, and so now nationally, it's going to be completely outlawed uh, in Canada. This bill is before uh, um, our, uh, our parliament here. So that's something that I, I, in my profession, I'm, I'm looking at doing and, uh, still producing videos every week about addiction, recovery, and spirituality and reaching out my hand to atheists, agnostics, and people of multi-faith. You know, one of the people that I, uh, my colleagues here in town that I, uh, that I see most eye to eye with, is the the rabbi she's down the street from me and uh you know like continuing to to work in a collective community-minded uh kind of atmosphere here in, in this and I'm, and I'm right on a, a major university campus here so continuing to work with young students and uh until my time here is it, it is it comes to an end and then after that you know my wife and i are open to maybe moving to a major metropolitan area in the United States or, uh, or to uh, overseas to uh, somewhere, possibly working for a non-gov- uh, non-governmental organization um, and just continuing to do this public work and have a public presence and, and, and create, create videos weekly uh, just uh, as this outlet to, express really who I am. Yeah. Well, I'm going to follow your channel. I'm, I'm really, really glad that you contacted me. Um, I, I don't know what you thought. You thought that maybe we might not want to talk to you, but no, we do. I, uh, I, I'm, I don't want people, I don't think that we should be in silos and just dealing and just talking with people who are just exactly like us. The, the value in um, there's strength and diversity, you know? So if I know you and I meet somebody who is receptive to your message, I'm saying, Hey, check out Seth's YouTube channel. Yeah. And I'm going to meet people that are going to be <laughs> the, the exact opposite. I'm going <laughs> to run into people. I, I don't know how many people need an outlet for uh, rational thought for, uh, you know, to be uh, a- a- atheists or, or just people who are undecided that need to do research, you know, and that's something that is important. People should come into the room to be able to be, you know, encouraged to go out and, and just educate yourself. Well, thank you so much for your, your email and thank you for appearing on the podcast. Um, so we're going to do something different here. I'm going to post this video for everybody in the world to see on our YouTube channel, but we're also going to um, have a nice edited audio version out um, as well for you to download wherever you get your podcast. So with that, That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.